With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Litterine. Uh, if you're out there on Twitter, give John a follow at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Jakeski52. John, we got a hell of a card today. We're going to be making our fantasy picks for the biggest fights at UFC 238. Got two title fights on the line, and of course, the people's main event between Donald Cerrone and, or, and, and Tony Ferguson here. So a lot of good fights on tap, but let's, uh, let's you know, maybe take a look back at some of the news from today. You know, uh, Habib and Dustin Poirier got announced for Abu Dhabi in September. Um, but the biggest story that jumped out to me was just a, a whole lot of retirements. We saw Gustafson hang up the gloves. Just this morning, Jimmy Manua announced his retirement. I mean, uh, what was your reaction to that? And what does that leave the light heavyweight division in? Well, you know, I, I think Gustafson obviously is certainly the, you know, the big one there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, you know, this was a guy who, you know, up until he was really just, you know, dominated by John Jones recently was, you know, widely considered by, you know, not counting Daniel Cormier, of course, um, widely considered to be, you know, probably the second best light heavyweight in the world. And, um, you know, I, I, this was something I don't think anybody really saw coming. Um and the interesting thing is what you mentioned, you know, obviously Jimmy Manoa was struggling recently too, but, you know, this is a division that doesn't have a lot of depth to begin with. And, you know, I really don't think Gustafson would be, is done in terms of ability, but um, we were talking about this before we, you know, before we went live on air here. And, 
if he's, you know, not serious about this, he was pretty convincing. You know, I went back and watched it a couple times and mm -hmm. he certainly sounded like somebody, um, you know, who just didn't have the heart and commitment, you know, to keep going. And, you know, I, that's the thing I listen for. You know, you'll hear guys once in a while talk about, oh, you know, my skills are eroding and all that stuff. But if a guy starts talking about, oh, you know, I don't have the desire to go to the gym, I don't have the desire to fight, that's kind of a different story. Um, and the light heavyweight division was running out of options to begin with. And, you know, this makes a, a really thin division even thinner. You know, John Jones is going to fight Tiago Santos in July. Um, you know, after that, you got, you know, a couple interesting young guys, you know, Johnny Walker and Dominic Reyes, guys like that. But once you get past that, man, that is a thin, thin division. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the thing I'm looking at. I mean, you've got guys in the top 15 that are coming off losses. Um, but there is, I don't want to say that it'll be deep, but at least it's a little bit of a bright future because you've got guys like Johnny Walker and, and um, you know, Dominic Reyes is a big one. Uh, until Tyson Pedro got hurt, I thought maybe there was something there, but I guess we'll, we'll have to see on that. Um, Jerry's still out there. But uh, we, I did see today that I wrote up an update for the site that uh, Johnny Walker has been medically cleared. He's going to try to come back in September. They want a bunch of different names. Uh, Glover Teixeira would be a good one, give him a, a rank guy uh, to get going, especially after he's got a couple wins in a row. So there are going to be opponents for Jones. I always thought Gustafson had the best chance of beating Jones if anyone was ever going to until I saw that fight in December uh, but you know Jones has got Santos I'm sure Smith's going to want another rematch I don't I'm not in any hurry to see that fight but yeah looking down the list I mean guys you got to look at some of these up-and-comers and and maybe that is for something like Walker or, or, or Jan Blakovich I don't see him beating. I don't I just don't see anybody beating Jones period until he moves up to heavyweight but it does uh cripple the division to have two ranked guys like that retire in you know a matter of days it definitely does. And, you know, I think part of the reason is, you know, this is what we went through with, you know, Demetrius Johnson at flyweight. You know, he, he kind of cleaned out the division and you're left with a bunch of options that, you know, really aren't all that, you know, aren't all that appealing. And, um, you know, eventually, I don't know if that means Jones is going to have to move up to heavyweight. You know, I, you know, I don't know where they're going to go with that. Um, you know, Luke Rockhold's going to move to light heavyweight to fight Blakovich, you know, in July on the same card that Jones is fighting Santos. So I don't know, maybe they can try and build a contender out of Rockhold if he can pick up a couple, you know, quick wins at light heavyweight. And, you know, Rockhold I mean, was Blakovich always. Blakovich is the one on the winning streak, I think. So, you know. Yeah. And Rockhold's a big, Rockhold's a big middleweight. He's only, Rockhold's 6'3", and he was really, really big for 185 pounds. So, you know, he can get up to, you know, I'm sure he walks around at, you know, 210, 215, no problem. So, um they're trying, you know, they're trying, but, um, until then you're gonna, you're gonna get matchups like, you know, like you see, you know, Jones is a massive, massive favorite over Santos and that's what you're going to get. Yep. And we're going to definitely go with that one quite a bit more in depth when we huddle back up for this next month. Uh, you know, I think Santos has a puncher's chance, but I'm never going to pick against Jones. So there's your early sneak preview here, but let's jump into the fights here for Saturday night. Like I said, we got a pair of title fights that we're going to talk about. We got the people's main event. We've got some other, this is just an exceptional card from top to bottom. I, I think it's set to record at least in 2019 for most ranked fighters on a single card. If you go from top, you know, from the very top to all the way bottom, there's exciting fights on the prelims. So definitely something worth tuning into, but let's, uh, let's jump right in. We got Henry Cejudo, Marlon Rice, of course, uh, Cejudo welcomed TJ Dillashaw back down to the flyweight division. 
Then he knocked him out. Then Dillashaw got uh, you know popped for EPO. He's going to be suspended a while. He relinquished his belt before they could strip it from him. So this is going to be for the bantamweight championship. And Cejudo, of course, going up a weight because it looks pretty certain at this point with all of the recent releases that the UFC is going to go ahead and dismantle the flyweight division. So hope I gave a summary on the situation there well enough. But Cejudo gets Marais riding a win streak. Marais is a betting favorite of minus 120. He gets the nod on DraftKings as well. 8,300 from Marais, 7,900. Odds to finish on this one for smaller guys, it's pretty big. I mean, minus one ninety is what I saw. Those are probably going to get get adjusted throughout the week. They were very uh, limited uh, numbers on the sports books I was looking at here, but uh, this is a pretty good fight. Um, you know, we got a main event action here and five round fight, two reasonably priced guys. Something you're probably going to want to get a piece of on DraftKings. Uh, well, I guess what were your thoughts on this fight, John? And uh, ultimately, how do you see it playing out? Very good fight. Um, as you mentioned, you know, this whole card is really exceptional and. Uh, this is a very good fight to headline it. Um, and it's interesting. There's something I didn't mention in my article, but you just brought it up. I'm curious as to whether Cejudo winning or Cejudo losing is better for the flyweight division, you know, in the future. Because if he wins, you know, the UFC could just promote him as the bantamweight champion and, you know, kind of phase out the flyweight title or whatever. You know, if he loses, the flyweight title is all he has left. So, you know, would they continue to push him? So that's just something to keep an eye Maybe on. Maybe they um, run back Benavidez if that happens. Yeah, there, you know, there, there's things they could do there. So, you know, it, it's actually – I'm not really sure which is a better option, you know, for the future of the flyweight division. But like you said, this is a good fight. Um, an interesting fight because when Cejudo took the title – or I should say, you know, defeated TJ Dillashaw. He didn't take Dillashaw's belt because it was for Cejudo's flyweight title. But when um, Cejudo knocked TJ Dillashaw out in January, um, you know, I think most people picked Dillashaw to win, but um, the shocking thing was how it happened. You know, Henry Cejudo, obviously, you know, an Olympic gold medalist in wrestling. Um, no, wait, is he? You never yeah, hear that he at is. all. No, oh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, you, never, you never hear anything. You, never yeah, hear you, you see it. him taking pictures every single time with it, and he, it's it's like the joke on on MMA Twitter. Like, hey, did you know he has a gold medal? He <laughs> does. <laughs> yes, and, he does. Um, more impressively than that, though, I think – well, not more impressively, but you know, impressively in, in regards to his MMA game is that the advancements I see in Cejudo's striking game the past you know, year or two, 18 months, whatever – seem to be entirely legitimate. Nobody really ever thought Cejudo would knock Dillashaw out. Yeah, sure, maybe Cejudo would score some takedowns, you know, grind out a decision. You know, that certainly would be possible. But Cejudo knocking Dillashaw out was not something anybody saw coming. And, you know, from what I see, Cejudo, the power in Cejudo's hands and his striking technique is much, much improved. And, I mean, look, this is a guy who, in a span of you know, about eight months beat Demetrius Johnson and Dillashaw, you know, two of the better, you know, two of the best smaller fighters really in the history of the sport. So, you know, this guy is entirely legit. Um, he does not have many MMA miles on his belt for a guy who turned 32 years old in February. He only has 16 professional fights. Um, you know, so he doesn't have the typical wear and tear of a fighter who's, you know, getting in, you know, to his early to mid thirties. Um, that being said, I'm still going to pick against them. Um, I'm a big Morais guy. Um, since Morais moved over to the UFC from what was then the World Series of Fighting, um, he's really been everything the company could have asked for and more. Um, you know, hardcore MMA fans knew how good Morais was 
but I would say a, a substantial portion of MMA fans follow the UFC and, you know, not much else. So I really don't think he got the credit he deserved. Mm-hmm. But since coming over in June 2017, Marais lost a split decision to Rafael Sunsa, which was kind of BS. You know, he won that fight. Since then, he's defeated John Dodson, Aljamain Sterling, Jimmy Rivera, and a Sunsau. The last three, all via stoppage, all in the first round, all in less than three and a half minutes. Marais is a legitimate threat in all assets of the sport. Ten knockout wins, six submission wins. The guy's really, really good. Now, I think he fights with a physicality that Cejudo's going to have a hard time matching. Now, Cejudo's had problems. We all know um, Cejudo had problems making you know the flyweight weight limit. So he's going to get the extra 10 pounds here, which will certainly you know help him. But you know he was never he's not he's not a big middleweight. You know he's never going to be one of those you know big middleweights. Uh, middleweights, excuse <laughs> me, bantamweights. Yeah, you know, going up to 185 real yeah, quick. Ooh. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, he's never going to be one of those big band weights. And I think Marice can physically push him around. Now, um, Cejudo certainly has the technique and the background, you know, to negate that. You know, any guy, anybody who's, you know, an Olympic gold medalist in wrestling can, you know, turn the tide in any fight. But Marice is multifaceted. And I think that's what it's going to take to beat someone like Cejudo these days. Cejudo is, we talk about this all the time, you know, when you get fights with two high, high end fighters, there is no fight in which Cejudo should be $7,900 on DraftKings. You know, that is a, Mm -hmm. that's a low, low price for someone with Cejudo's natural ability. Mm -hmm. So even though I'm picking Marais to win, Cejudo certainly has value. You know, if you're the kind of person who makes multiple lineups, which you always advocate, you know, I certainly would, you know, even if you think Marais is going to win, you're making three, four, five, six lineups. Yes. Certainly a good idea to get Cejudo in there somewhere. So I'm going to take Marais, you know, to win. But I think this is just one of those close competitive fights to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, wouldn't be the least bit surprised if it sees the final bell. You know, I'm really surprised that odds to finish that you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. minus 190. Yeah. You know, that that doesn't seem right to me. I mean, we're doing the pot on a Tuesday a little bit earlier than normal. Those tend to move a lot around a lot more than any other props. I just looked at it now, but yeah, plus 150 to go to a decision. Maybe that's something you sneak into a parlay. I, I, you know, we'll see about that. But I see what you mean, John. This could have very well been an 80-100, 80-100 fight, similar to the very first one, the Calderwood-Chukigian, where they're both 80-100 and we throw it as a toss-up. Um, but I do think uh, the, the size difference is going to come into play a little bit here. And I was really, really back and forth on this, John. I wrote down uh, Marais for my first staff pick, and then I started doing some research. And that's I saw, oh, man, Marais's takedown defense is only 60%. What's that? But then I saw, obviously, it's only a five-fight sample size, and he's only been taken down twice over that. So, you know, maybe people just haven't tried that too much on him. Um, and so I've been back and forth on this. But in the end, I think I'm going to agree with you. I'll give you a couple of reasons, you know. You mentioned you mistakenly mentioned middleweight there, and so I think uh, so. Like you know, Calvin Gastelum moving from one seventy to one eighty five. You know, he can still hold his own up there. You know, you get guys like Eric Anders going up from one eighty five to two oh five. You know, those guys pretty pretty serviceable up there. Okay, but I think the effect of changing weight classes 
gets almost exponentially more serious the smaller in weight classes you get. And the example of that that comes to mind for me is Poirier and Max Holloway. Now, I thought Holloway was going to – I picked Holloway to win that fight. I thought that the way he comes at you with his relentless pressure and combinations was going to be amazing. But when the two got in there, it looked like a lightweight fighting a a featherweight. And now Holloway is very, very big for the weight class. He's long. But the power – he definitely landed like 180 shots in that fight. But Poirier's shots did significantly more damage. And I think as we continue to go more and more down the line here, uh, we're going to continue to see that effect exacerbated. And that that is what, for me, led to eventually I'm going to pick Morais in this fight. Now, Cejudo will probably work his takedowns. He'll get some. Um, but Morais can be dangerous off his back. You've been following him for long enough. He's got plenty of subs. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that taking him to the ground is the best bet. I think Morais is going to be a little bit smarter uh, than Dillashaw, or at least he'll be prepared for that blitz. And then again, there's the Dillashaw fight. That's the most recent sample size we have, and we know Dillashaw is coming down to his division. He wasn't a massive, massive bantamweight ever at any point in his career. And then there's the whole, you know, I guess there's a little narrative X factor with Dillashaw, like... Did he stop using what he was using leading up to that fight? Because his positive test apparently came from before that. You know, what was his mindset at with his new camp where all of that was going on? There's a lot of uncertainty for me. So if you believe that Dillashaw was 100% for that fight, uh, you know, mentally, physically ready to go, the weight cut wasn't too bad. If you believe he was 100%, the way Cejudo knocked him out, I could see, okay, Cejudo's awesome. I could see you picking Cejudo for sure. But uh, I'm going to say a little less than 100% on that. And I think the size and the weight class difference will be a little more pronounced this time around and again then you mix that with uh, Marlon Marais's diverse skill set um, the, the 60% takedown defense is a, is a concern of course but he, I eventually had to land with Marais and uh, another thing we were talking about before the show is you know I like to look at the uh, fight matrix ELO the modified ELO in advance to the uh, right next to the betting odds to kind of compare and sometimes I pull a couple underdogs out of that um, Marais has a 53% chance there so that's right in line uh, with the betting odds it's kind of like a math based you know they rank thousands of fighters deep and they give you a weight based on your caliber of opponent and a bunch of other different factors in there they try to do the whole analytics approach so I'll refer to that a couple times later on in the show because there were a couple other things that I think stood out but in the end most factors for me ended up leaning in favor of more rice now 7900 for Cejudo I certainly could not fault anybody who does that you said MMA is a multi-lineup sport you definitely got to get some game theory in there you know I they have those uh, mini max entries where you, they make it affordable for you to enter a hundred lineups and see how it goes. And that's a lot <laughs> of uh, data entry for the potential payoff there, but it's definitely a game theory uh, sport and you want to have a little bit ex- of exposure to Cejudo. But in the end, John, I'm with you. I got to go Marais here. You know, it's funny. I didn't think about it at the time when I wrote it up, but uh, that point you made about the Holloway Poirier fight was a good one. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be as lopsided as that fight was, partly because these are just smaller guys, you know, mm-hmm. and they don't they don't have the size and the physicality of Poirier and Holloway in a higher weight class. But uh, I like that comparison in the sense that when I was writing my preview about, you know, the physicality and the size differential, that's kind of what I had in mind. Mm-hmm. You know, th- yes. that's what I, that's what I pictured. So that's a good call by you again. I don't think either of us would be anything near or anything around shocked if, you know, Cejudo ended up winning this fight. Mm-hmm. You know, he's certainly one of the best fighters in the world. And, you know, this is a good one. This is a good card from top to bottom. And this is a very, very good fight to cap it all off. Yeah, yeah, right on. And I mean, I use I made an A lineup for, and I'll eventually go through and make B, C, D iterations because this card has a lot of cool opportunities and, and big GPPs that you want to enter. Uh, but I did put more ice in it and I don't 
feel I mean I feel good enough about it to pick him because I got to pick one guy but as I start to go BC and D I'll, I'll get some Cejudo exposure as well and and yeah I, I, I that, that was the best way I could think of to illustrate how that effect of weight class differences gets exacerbated the lighter and lighter you get so uh I guess we'll see if that comes into play on Saturday night it's going to be an intriguing main event that's just one of two title fights we have to talk about here John I want to jump to this one we don't have to talk to this one about this one a ton um because it's very very lopsided in terms of the betting nods here we've got the champion in the women's flyweight division valentina shevchenko taking on jessica i who is essentially the best challenger they had available i mean i beat caitlin chukigian in a split decision very narrow fight maybe could have gone the other way you know I, I could see that going both ways it was a split decision um and i was pretty much next up i guess and the odds and salaries here are are reflecting what's going to what, what looks like a uh, shevchenko uh, a dominant performance here. Not quite the separation as Joshua and Ruiz this past weekend, but uh, but we're getting there here. Shevchenko's 9,600 on DraftKings. That's about as high as you're going to see a fighter get here in 2019 since they expanded the rosters to six fighters. I is 6,600. So basically a punt play. You know, if you want to stack this fight, sure, but I don't think you're getting a lot of points out of her. Uh, Shevchenko minus 1,400 favorite. I've seen her all over the place looking at, uh, at sport books. I mean, I've seen her anywhere from minus 1,250 to minus 2000 so there's a lot of variance there i think that'll tighten up a little bit as fight week goes again we're doing this a little earlier than we normally do the odds to finish on this are minus 185 and i'm pretty sure people think that's because shevchenko is going to finish the job here um I think our pick for this one is pretty self-explanatory. I would be shocked if this is not a unanimous decision. Uh, you know, I'd think one of our staff members is trolling if they picked I. But the real question with this fight, it comes down to, John, is does Shevchenko warrant the $9,600 price tag? Can she pay off in a fantasy <clears throat> contest? It's a good question. Um, it's just, it's. I think she can as far as racking up you know fantasy points for you but it's it's just so risky when you spend that much of your you know your budget on one fighter because if she doesn't or even if she does you know you're really you're gonna have to go under slot in multiple other places to try and you know win it back and you know these you know fighters who are you know underdogs and you know are the lowest price lower price fighters you know in in DK games are are that for a reason you know they usually don't win or rack up a ton of points so it's tough i will say this i since we started doing this i have never been more confident about a well i shouldn't say that you know there were some early ronda rousey you know john jones fights against nobodies but um this is as lopsided as it gets for me. And as you said, the odds and the salaries reflect that. Um, but this is what you're left with when you have a division that has zero depth at all. You know, we were talking about the lack of depth in the men's light heavyweight division. The women's flyweight division is 10 times worse than that. You know, there's mm-hmm. just there's nothing for the company to do here. Yeah, I mean, the number two I- contenders coming off a loss here. You've got Joanna at number four. Um, yeah, there's just, there's just a lot of people in here that, you know, I don't know, you've got, I don't know, maybe if you Macy Barber believer or something like that, you know, I, I, I don't really know. I mean, I, I don't see a whole lot in this division. I think we're going to have to see someone move down or up to actually challenge Shevchenko. Yeah. I mean, and on top of that, you're left with a scenario here where Jessica, I, and you know, our regular readers know, um, I was never, I have not been I's biggest supporter. You know, she's just, she's a one dimensional brawler. 
You know, she's tough. You know, I'm not taking that away from her. You know, she can take a beating, but she's a brawler. And not only is she a brawler, to make matters worse, she's a brawler with little finishing power. And that's a really, really, really bad combination. Mm -hmm. You know, she has three knockout wins in her career. You know, one came in the UFC against Leslie Smith, and that was the doctor stoppage. You know, the rest came very early in her career, two of her first three fights. You know, she is, if she goes into this trying to engage Shevchenko in a kickboxing match, and I don't know what else she can do, you know, because her, her skill set, you know, certainly isn't tailored to do something else, she's going to get killed. And this is a Jessica I is, I know she's won three fights in a row. Um, but the competition's been lousy. Caitlin Chukagian, Jessica Rose Clark, Kalinja Faria. The competition's bad. And if you go back to February 20th. She lost to Betch Cohea before that. And we know what Cohea yeah, has done yeah. since then. So yeah. if, you, if you go back to 2014, you know, February of 2014, Jessica I is three and five in her last. I'm sorry, four and five in her last nine fights. There is virtually no scenario in which any fighter who's four and five in their last nine fights should be getting a title shot. And you say, oh, well, you know, what if someone's won four in a row against the best competition? Well, if they won four in a row against the best competition, that would mean they lost their previous five fights. And if you lose five in a row, you're not going to be employed for very long. <laughs> so, look, this is this is what it is. You know, you mentioned it earlier. There's there's not a lot, you know, to discuss here as far as, like, strategy or anything like that. Um, it's a lopsided fight all the way around. The odds look right. The salaries look right. Um, I never, you know, we usually do an either or, you know, or at the end of this play, uh, you know, at the end of the pod. I, Jessica, I would be the very last fighter on this card. Mm-hmm. I, if you had to rank them one through twenty six, she yeah, would be last. She would yeah. be last, and I believe she's priced at least two. So at least that's, uh, yeah. you know, that that's would be last. It's yeah. just, it's mm-hmm. a bad com, you know, it's a bad combination as far as matchup style all you know it's just bad okay. and look I she'll go out and win watch but uh yeah, of course no. <laughs> of course the way this goes no i'd be uh i'd be quite surprised if that happened and yeah i'm not going to spend too much time on this one either john i'm going shevchenko we'll talk about some of the comps uh or decisions you'll have to make regarding shevchenko i think she can get the stoppage her striking's diverse enough and if i presses forward like we assume she will uh it's going to stop so i've got i've got shevchenko in my a lineup and um and you know, it's either either gets a sustained beating through five rounds, maybe I proves to be otherworldly tough, or a finish. I think either way, there's a chance she can at least. It'll be tough to get 12x, but I think she might be able to do it here. Um, but let's move on here. This fight's being referred to as the People's Main Event. It's what the uh, the UFC marketers they're calling it the People's Main Event. I don't know how I'd feel about that if I were Henry Cejudo or Shevchenko, but nonetheless, John, this fight is an absolute banger, and it's the one I'm most excited to see on the card. It's hopefully going to be worth the price price of the pay-per-view on its own and i'm talking tony ferguson donald cerrone these are elite fighters in what's arguably the best single division in any promotion on the planet here uh ferguson enters as the favorite he's a minus 155 betting favor come back on cerrone plus 135 ferguson 8600 cerrone 7600 maybe a little intriguing odds to finish minus 150 there um i don't know i've cowboys just been on this amazing run since he has has had his kid it's like he's fighting for something entirely different that's the narrative behind this fight but tony ferguson is uh elite he's as good as it gets uh i mean how do you rate cowboys chances of pulling the upset in this one 
I think they're decent. You know, I went, <clears throat> excuse me, I went back and forth a little bit on this one. Um, this fight kind of came out of nowhere. You know, this fight was only agreed to what, like a month ago or so, you know, not a long, not very long ago. Um, it's interesting for a number of reasons. You know, it certainly wasn't a matchup that anybody saw coming. You know, it didn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, one of those things that was talked about for a while, you know, before it got announced. It kind of came out of nowhere. And, um, you know, Cowboy headlined a card a month ago. You know, he, he, he beat up Ally Quinta just a month ago in Ottawa. So, you know, to see him fight again, you know, so quickly in such a high profile fight. Is a bit surprising, you know. Maybe not. Maybe I mean, it it's be. cowboy. If it's if anyone's going right. to do that, it's him. So. Right. And um, you know, we haven't seen Ferguson since October. Um, he defeated Kevin Lee for what was then the interim UFC lightweight belt, which you know they love doing interim titles these days. Yep. Um, Tony got hurt, got stripped of his title, and you know here we are. Um, Two hundred forty-five you know, days since Tony Ferguson's last fight. 35 days since Donald Cerrone's last yeah. fight. You know, Fergus, Tony Ferguson's won 11 fights in a row. He hasn't lost in about six years. Um, and I mentioned this all the time. You know, he's a, Tony Ferguson is a guy who has legitimately gotten better as he's gotten older. You know, he was kind of inconsistent and all over the place, you know, when he was younger. And, you know, he started getting some fights against better competition and better training and, you know, all that stuff. And now he's running off 11 in a row. Um, I will say this. I'm going to take Ferguson to win, but um, you're right about Cowboy's motivation, you know, with his son being born, and he looks like a different guy. Um, and one thing about Ferguson is he absorbs a lot of punishment. You know, we've seen Tony win fights in which he got beat up. So that fight against Pettis was a war, by the way. That, Pettis, that like, one. way exceeded my expectations for that fight. Yep. I mean, even if you go back to like the Lando Venata fight where, you know, he submitted him in the second round, you know, in July. Well, God, that was three years ago, July 2016. That one could have been stopped in the first round. Right. Venato had him in all kinds of trouble. But I mean, you look at, you know, who Ferguson's beat during this time. Pettis, Kevin Lee, Dos Anjos, Venata, Edson Barbosa, you know, Josh Thompson back when Josh Thompson was good. You know, Eve Edwards, you know, it goes on and on. Tony Ferguson, you know, has legitimately turned himself into one of the better pound for pound fighters in the world. And, you know, I think this is another reason that this is interesting is when you get two guys like this who are so aggressive, you know, and so action packed in the sense that they're always on the offense. It opens, obviously, it opens up the possibility for more things to happen. You know, guys take more chances, guys throw more strikes. Um, you know, it opens up the possibility, you know, for an underdog like Cerrone pulling the upset. Um, I certainly wouldn't be shocked. You know, I have, I definitely have time for Cerrone at 7,600. And that's, I think that's one of the other good things about this card. This card is full of guys who, and women who, you know, you look at, you know, I might not pick them to win, but then you look at the settings and you go, wow, you know, that's a decent price. You know, Cerrone, Cejudo, there'll be a couple other guys we talk about who you can certainly make a case should be in your lineup. So if that's what you're going to do, you know, maybe you can get away with using Shevchenko or something like that, yeah. you know, if you I mean, can put a couple underdogs yeah. in there. I can find three, four fighters on this card under 8,000 who I, it's not quite, I mean, with Stockholm, there were like three, four guys that just had odds value where they were actually betting favorites at a lower salary. Um, you know, like Clark was one of them. But um, with this fight, there are a few guys that are under 8,000 that I think 
are legitimate enough to win. So that's why I'm going ahead and putting Shevchenko in my lineup. I might see if I can mix Tatiana Suarez in there too. Maybe we'll touch on her a little bit later on. But uh, yeah, I mean, Cerrone 7,600, uh, I see where you're coming from. The um, yeah, the narrative is incredible there. But the thing with me is when I stack every single individual facet of, of each of their games together, really the only one except for maybe leg strikes i know cerrone doesn't train with uh with jackson wink anymore but you know those whole uh the front leg sidekicks and the spinning back kicks that he picked up there those are devastating and those could do some serious damage i know they did to al the body kicks too so maybe kicks but outside of that the only factor where i could say cowboy's got the clear edge here is is intangibles and i'm not sure i can pick a fighter based on that so i'm gonna go with tony ferguson uh that fight matrix formula i mentioned earlier it's got 67 percent for tony ferguson so even better than the odds maybe this is too quick too soon for cerrone but i know he wants to be the company man and he wants to get his shot at connor and if he wins this fight i don't know how you could deny him connor or even the winner of the of the dustin uh uh habib fight in september so this sets the stage for a lot of things it's an excellent fight one of these guys, I mean, the winner will hopefully be fighting for a title in early 2020, late 2019 at the earliest. So uh, maybe there's something there. But I'm going to pick uh, Ferguson, too. But um, this is one where I wanted to find a way to pick Cerrone, and I just couldn't do it. So uh, I think we're on the same page with this one. Yeah, no, this is this is definitely one, you know, can go either way. And this is definitely a fight in which, you know, I'd be really, really shocked if it just wasn't active impact. You know, I can't remember the last time Tony Ferguson was in a fight that didn't turn into a total war. So, you know, this is definitely and there are a lot of good fights on this card, but this is definitely your, you know, your early leader in the, you know, for a fight of the night. Yeah, I mean, in that co-main event, even unless I'm searching for, uh, you know, really going for that stoppage front bankroll, you know, I don't mind maybe getting up, going to the bathroom, grabbing a beer, you know, whatever you got to do. But this fight. I will no. be glued yeah. to my seat. I will not yeah. move. I will not look nope. away from the screen. If someone talks to me, I'm going to tell them to shut the F up because uh, we got business to take care of here. So, uh, all right, awesome. We can agree on this. We can agree on the pick. Let's keep moving down the list, though. we got a, we got a heavyweight fight here, finally. Uh, there should be some fireworks here, one would think. Tai Tuivasa and Blagoy Ivanov. Uh, Tuivasa, 8,700. Ivanov, 7,500. Uh, I think there's some odds value on Ivanov here. I think there's more on Ivanov, which I'll get into in a second. But Tuivasa, minus 145. Comeback, plus 125 on Ivanov. Odds to finish are uh, one, minus 165. Uh, John, will you be doing a shoey on Saturday night? I will not. But uh, I'm gonna pick Tuivasa to win, but not by a whole not not by a whole lot. You know, this is another one where I'm willing to listen to an argument for Ivanov. You know, this could go either way. All right, get ready. Um, here it is. You know, Tuivasa is interesting because the UFC heavyweight division does not have a lot of high end depth, and Tuivasa was a guy who was kind of he beat up a bunch of nobodies um, and was pushed to a main event spot against Junior Dos Santos last December, and he was knocked out in the second round. First professional loss. Um, Tuivasa was okay in that fight. You know, he didn't get run out of the building. Um, he certainly landed his fair share of damage on Dos Santos. Um, but I think a lot of this has to do with that's the first loss of Tuivasa's career. It happened in his native Australia in his first main event spot in the UFC. Now the question is, how is he going to bounce back? And this is a guy who's 26 years old, does not have a ton of MMA experience under his belt, and you know, he has, only has non-professional fights. Mm-hmm. So it will be interesting to see how he looks after that first setback. Now, you see some of the guy in Ivanov who, again, a former 
World Series of Fighting Heavyweight Champion. And for those of you who don't know, I know we've mentioned here before, Ivanov um, is legitimately one of the toughest men in the world. You know, was stabbed after a bar fight in his native Bulgaria, I believe. Yeah, there's a great and, ESPN feature on that if you want to read more about that. Yeah, was in a coma um, for a while. You know, looked like he wasn't going to pull through. Um, came back to fighting. Um, you know, eventually won, you know, the World Series of Fighting, you know, now the PFL World Championship. I mean, he was um, in Bellator, too. He's been around. He has. And he's good. He's just, even though it's just a good, solid, all-around fighter. You know, he's really short for the division. You know, you're not going to find many heavyweights these days who are 5'10". He's just, you know, he, you know who he reminds me of a little bit? Same body type is um, Alir Latifi, who withdrew last week, was supposed to fight. Um, yeah, that was welcome to Yes, yeah, you know, same kind of body type. You know, I would say Latifi is a little bit stronger, but you know, just short. You know, squat. You know, powerful. Um, does a lot of things well. You know, has a judo background. He has a black belt in judo. You know, like all you know guys from you know over there has a international master of sport. You know, I think every guy over there does. Um, but he he's just a solid all around fighter and. I think there's some value on him in the sense that you have Tuivasa who's coming off his first career loss. Um, you have Ivanov who obviously, you know, he's the definition of durable, both in and out of the inside and outside the octagon. So um, I could see him hanging around and doing enough damage here to pull the upset. You know, I'm going to take the younger fighter in Tuivasa, but again, another fight that could go either way and, you know, multiple lineups. Certainly like the idea of using his even off. I think he's actually the better fantasy play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely the odds value comes into play here. You got a guy who's plus 125 for 7,500. Maybe a little bit more money goes goes towards Tuivasa. He's a little bit taller. Who knows what happens at the weigh-ins here. Um, but, John, this is where I'm taking my stand here. I think at 7,500, it's a it's an excellent play. I think he, it's risky when you're dealing with heavyweights, of course, because there's some things that could happen. But I'm going to have 100% even of exposure, and i got a few reasons why for that. Uh, first off, look at the common opponent, Junior Dos Santos. Uh, knocked tried to evasive out in the second round. Um, a couple fights ago, even I fought Junior Dos Santos, and he went all five rounds with him. Lost the unanimous decision. It was a correct unanimous decision, but he landed 51 significant strikes in that bout. So it's not like he was completely rolled over in that fight. And JDS, I mean, and they were both recent too. So it's not like once fighting JDS five, six years ago or anything like that. Um, so, so that's one reason. Then you keep going further back on Tied to Ivasa. The fight before that against Andre Arlovsky one. You'd think a hot shot up and coming prospect would be able to finish somebody like Arlovsky, but he barely. I, they, it says unanimous decision. He outlanded him fifty four to fifty one, and I was that was one of those fights where I'm telling all my friends like we're watching, you know, hey, get ready for violence. Some stuff's going to happen here. This Tuivasa guy's the real deal, and he was just he was lackluster. I I I think he's a little bit overhyped. Then you look at his two UFC fights before that: Cyril Asker, Rashad Coulter, a couple of knockouts. Those are bottom barrel heavyweights that he should should be able to work and he did work so uh um nothing you know that that doesn't do a whole lot for me so for me i think tuivasa he's a cool he's a marketable guy i I can see how he's got fans you know that kind of fun the whole shoey thing for those of you that don't know uh if he wins the fight he will go outside of the octagon uh take a fan shoe and fill it up with beer and then and then down it um so that's even a, a step forward from the nfl qb chugging contests we have here um so he's an interesting character i can see why the ufc is getting behind him uh He's a likable guy, but I think he's a little bit overhyped, and I think Ivanov is going to have none of that. 
And I think there's odds value on here. There's value in Ivanov as an underdog. Um, Ivanov is the key piece of how I'm using both Shevchenko and Tatiana Suarez in my lineups this week. And you're going to have to find a couple other underdogs, which we'll talk about here in a second. But um, but yeah, overall, I'm uh, I'm big time here on uh, Ivanov. Uh, again, the toughness. He's got a heck of a story. Um, I don't think he's going to wear out or let up. And I think Tuivasa might. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see a late knockout from Ivanov. No, I agree with everything you said, and uh, you're right. If you can't beat Andre Arlovsky handily these days, I get concerned, mm-hmm. and that that's definitely a concern. Yeah, and I mean, Dos Santos is not um, is is not. I mean, he's he was a wild favorite, okay, and Tibas was supposed to lose that fight. Essentially, um, I, I should look up the odds, but so that fight, I, I mean, I can fault him for, but again, Ivanov lasted longer than the whole Arlovsky thing. Uh, so I'm pretty, I'm taking Ivanov with got quite a bit of confidence here. Hopefully, I don't eat my own words. And then that whole that whole metric thing I mentioned before, Elo likes him 76 percent by Ivanov, and that's like the biggest on the card. I mean, that's right up there. Or Tatiana Suarez might be the biggest on the card. It's very close, but it's right up there with Shevchenko in terms of that metric. So, um, so that is that. Um, that's all I've got on these heavyweights. I did. I got too excited to talk about Ivanov, and I skipped the bantamweight matchup between Jimmy Rivera and Peter Yan. So we got to hit that real quick, John. Uh, Rivera sixty nine hundred on DraftKings. Yan ninety three hundred. Rivera plus two ninety five. Yan minus three fifty five. He's a prospect, up and coming. Looks good so far. Does he warrant that price? I think so. Yan looks great. Um. He's one of these young guys I'm all in on. I, I think this guy has, you know, at least at the very least, you know, fighting for, you know, the world title potential. Um, guy who's, you know, relatively new to the UFC, only has, you know, four fights under his belt. But his last two fights, corner stoppage against Douglas Silva de Andrade, who's very underrated in December. Then Jan came back and it ended up being a unanimous decision win over John Dodson in February. But Jan dominated that fight. You know, he, he controlled that thing from start to finish. Um, this is interesting because these are two guys who really make their living fighting similarly, you know, in, in a division in which, you know, not very many guys, you know, are all that big, 135 pounds. These are two guys who rely on their fists to get the job done. And, you know, Rivera's given up three inches in height um, in a fight that he really has to win. You know, he he lost to Marlon Moraes, then he defeated Dotson, and then most recently in February he lost to Aljamain Sterling. So a loss here they're, for they're good losses. I, I, oh yeah, I, it's not no, like you're going to release him or anything. He's awesome. But he he kind of joked that they maybe wanted him to release him if you're not going to fight him as frequently. But uh, you know, he's been fighting good dudes. Yes, you know, and, and you're right. The quality of losses are fine. You know, that's not the issue. It's just there's so much depth at 135 pounds that. You know, you can't afford to go one and three in a, in a four fight stretch and really, you know, consider yourself a title contender. So, exactly. you know, this is a fight that Rivera has to have. And, you know, Jan kind of is too, you know, in, in some sense. But Rivera's kind of proven to be pretty one dimensional. And he's really he's a, you know, he's a box, not really so much a kickboxer, more just a boxer. You know, most of his strikes, you know, are punches, not kicks. Um and I'm kind of worried in this kind of fight, he's going to get off second, mm-hmm. you know, and, and if you get off second against, you know, in a fight like that, when that's really what you rely on, you know, to be successful, you know, you're in a whole bunch of trouble. And I think Rivera might've got a little overhyped. He had whatever he had. What was it? A 20, 
20 fight winning streak 21 fight winning streak whatever it was he entered the ufc on a five fight winning streak and that included wins against pedro munoz who's fighting tonight as well or saturday as well that included a win over uh, uriah faber that included a win over remember when everyone thought thomas almeida was the best prospect known to man um, yep. So, so there were, uh, so there were, so it was a good streak to start with. He's just ran in a little bit of a rough spot because uh, you know Morais knocked him out, uh, you know, pretty early, and then Sterling outlanded him one hundred one to twenty four. So that, so that's the thing with him. But uh, so I can see why the odds are the way they are, especially against Jan. Um, and, yeah, I, yeah, you know, I could, I, was, I could, I could see him doing a bit better in this fight than he did in the Sterling fight, only because you know Aljamain's entire game is based around wrestling. And that's not really Rivera's thing. Uh, you know, I could see him doing a little better against a striking-based opponent like Jan. But, you know, to give you an idea, Rivera lost his second professional fight in November 2008. From November 2008, his he went almost a decade, June 2018, when he lost to Marais. So, you know, I, I think he's a guy who has been a little bit overhyped. But he's good. I just think he's facing somebody better in Jan. But like you said... Mm-hmm. You know, if nothing else, Rivera is going to get props for not, you know, he's not backing down. You know, he's taking. Yeah, no doubt. He's not saying no. Mm-hmm. He's taking the best guys they throw at him. We'll see. But uh, this is another entertaining fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, this is one where I'm going to pick Jan as well. Uh, I think I'd be, I'd be, uh, I think the majority of the staff is going to come through with Jan on this one. Again, it's, it's early in the week, so I don't have the full set of picks in yet. Um, I just think that the, uh, yeah, the diversity after, especially after reading your write up, John, the diversity in MMA skills that Jan has is enough. But the two problems I have is 9,300. It's pretty steep for me on DraftKings, especially for a fight that I believe is going to go to decision. I mean, it it technically has minus 120 odds to finish. It's basically a pick 'em for odds to finish, both from uh, from the couple of sports books I'm looking at right now. So uh, I think Jan's going to win a decision, and I don't know if he pays off the price tag. And also, you know. I just think it's closer than what they think, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked entirely. I mean, if Rivera won, but I'm definitely not going to advocate picking him. Uh, I think Jan gets the decision, but he does not hit. I don't think he hits 10x on DraftKings. You know, seven or eight x might even be generous uh, in a win. He'll probably, be, in my eyes, he could be one of the lower scoring uh, victors on the card. Uh, let me look at his. Uh, let me see if I can look at his striking volume here. I mean, oh jeez. It's actually pretty huge, 6.46 per minute, but he hasn't faced a striker like Rivera yet, so we're going to see if that holds up. I like So to, to circle back, bring it full circle, I like Jan to win but not pay off on DraftKings. I'm going to look for some other options in that elite tier. Makes sense to me. Again, another fight where you can make a legitimate case for the underdog. Mm-hmm. And you know this card's full of them, which is really all you can ask for. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some underdogs here. This is, uh, uh, you know, who knows, maybe people skip to the show here for this. Uh, but we've got uh, some odds value on this card. Of course, the whole crowd knows how I feel about Ivanov at uh, plus 125, 7,500. I mean, Cejudo, we mentioned at the beginning, plus 110, 7,900. Decent odds value. Uh, Alexa Grasso is plus 110 and 7,800. But I also really don't, I don't like her to win all that much. So I'm kind of glossing over that one. Um, and then there's Pedro Munoz, uh, plus 110 at 7700 uh do you like any of those guys or are there any other upsets you're kind of looking to dial in on i mean the first guy the my main upset on this one was ricardo lamas Um, talk about that a little bit yeah against calvin qatar uh, lamas is 7400 qatar is 8800 and for the life of me you know i really can't figure out why you know i can't figure out the separation um qatar's been good you know he's he's Four and one, three and one in the UFC. 
you know, Andre Philly, Shane Burgos in a fight I was actually at live, and uh, Chris Fishgold. You know, decent, you know, decent opponents, you know, nothing stellar. Um, you know, his one loss came against, you know, Hanato Moicano. Um, I think Lamas is being under, uh, I think Lamas is being undervalued again. And, you know, this isn't the first time we've said this about Lamas. He's a guy who has been in that, you know, second tier of the featherweight division for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. You know, he's gotten a title fight. He's gotten his opportunity to face the best the division has to offer. And he's never been able to win those fights. You know, he's always come up short. You know, he lost to Max Holloway. He lost to Chad Mendez. Um, he was totally dominated in February 2014 when he fought Jose Aldo for the title. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so this is a guy who's been given an opportunity to fight the best in the world. He hasn't come through. But that doesn't mean, you know, he, he's not an effective fighter against those second-tier guys. You know, no, one's think, no, one, no one thinks Qatar is on par, you know, with Holloway or Aldo or any of those kind of guys. So, um, you know, this was baffling to me when I looked at it. You know, if you want to say, you know, Qatar's younger and, you know, maybe, you know, Lamas is 37 years old or Qatar's only 31. You know, maybe that's the difference in the salaries or whatever. Sure. You know, so if you want to put Qatar, you know, two, three hundred dollars more on DraftKings, that's one thing. But a fourteen hundred dollar split, uh, you know, I'm just I'm not seeing it. I thought it was wrong when I first read it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a little odds value on uh, on Lamas for sure. I'm seeing him around plus one thirty here as I'm kind of scrolling across books here. So there's definitely some odds value there. Um, that Elo thing I mentioned, the modified Elo gives the edge to Lamas sixty four percent. Now I can see how an algorithm would would lean towards Lamas just given the murderer's row that he's faced over his entire career even though it is weighted supposed to be weighted a little bit more uh over their last three fights I guess um I should have someone on from the to, to, like properly explain that to me because I've been just curious with that lately but um but anyway yeah so uh, I'm with you Lamas is one of the fighters under 8,000 I'm using to hopefully uh to hopefully work in both Valentina Shevchenko and Tatiana Suarez in the same lineup. La- Lamas is Lamas is from Chicago too. Uh, you know that's that's another Ooh. you know. Just... Oh no! What the, yeah, and that is one of the little uh, the little they give it a small amount of points for that. So uh, very 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 interesting there. So um, yeah, I'm with you. I think he's got a good enough chance to win for me to use him in my lineups. Now I've alluded to it a couple times. I want to get your thoughts on Tatiana Suarez. We didn't really get to break her fight down in depth because she's 9500 on DraftKings. And um, yeah, so so for me. Um, I tried to use both of them in my lineups, but a lot of fantasy owners, people assembling lineups are going to have to make an either or decision. Um, what do you think about Tatiana Suarez? I personally think she's a future champion. I guess we will see. Um, and would you be more inclined to use Shevchenko or Suarez in a DraftKings lineup? Um, I agree with you about the future champion part. Um, you know, this is an excellent question. Um, I would probably take Suarez over... Shevchenko, and my reasoning for that is, um, you know, for those who don't know, Suarez's entire game is based on takedowns. Um, you know, she's been called the female Habib Nurmagomedov in the sense that once she gets her hands on you, you know, you're not going anywhere. Um, I would probably take Suarez simply because if she racks up a bunch of takedowns on Ansaroff mm-hmm. and eventually she- submits her, which I think is going to happen. <laughs> She gets points for the takedowns. You'd get points for the submission. You get points for that, the passes. If, you get points for the passes. And if she has Ansaroff on the mat, Ansaroff's not going anywhere. 
So that would, you know, theoretically lead us to believe she's going to land a whole bunch of ground and pound, even if that's not really her game. It's just, you know, if, she, if you have your arms pinned to the mat and she has her pinned to the ground and she's not going anywhere, you know, she's going to land some strikes. So um, that's my reasoning behind that. But she is, as far as is absolutely 100 million percent legit. Um, she's going to be fighting for a title sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, when she I gets s- the stoppage here, you got to give her Andrade. Unless yeah, well, Rose and- is ready for the rematch, I guess you got to give it to Rose first. Maybe, I guess we'll see. I'm not sure if you're in agreement. Uh, on that. And I would, uh, I'll tell you right now, you know, if if that comes to fruition, um, I would take Suarez in that fight all day long. We know how powerful Andrade is. And I still think Suarez will be able to get her to the mat with that issue. Mm-hmm. I read something on Twitter today about how uh, back on that card when Andraj knocked out Kovalkiewicz, um, they kind of had like a really, really intense stare down in the locker room. Like Suarez walked out after her big win. I believe it was against, uh, I think, um, maybe not Gross. I forget what it was, but the, she was there for whatever reason. They had some crazy stare down. So that matchup's coming. Get ready for that. Um, I used enough underdogs in my lineup to uh, to get both of them in there. I think it's not a bad cash game strategy, although you do have to you have to depend on guys like Ivanov and Lamas and, and Munoz to get their wins. That's not a, the craziest idea in the whole world. I mean, Munoz has probably the toughest task of all of them, but let's do a couple more either-ors. You know I like Lamas and Ivanov, but uh, you got to put one in your lineup. Who are you using? I would take Lamas there probably. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tui Vasa definitely has more power than Qatar does. And, you know, like you said, Lamas probably gets a slight bump for fighting at home. Yes. You know, we, we always say, you know, we don't let, you know, things like that drive our ultimate decision. But, you know, if it's a case, you know, I'm the, obviously not for this card, but, you know, if this is a, you know, a card in Australia or something and one guy's fighting in his home country and the other guy has to fly 22 hours around the world to get to the arena. You know, th- those are kind of things you look at if you you know you're trying to make a decision or a tiebreaker or something like that. Mm-hmm. I got you. I got one more for you here, uh, guys that are pretty similar in price, uh, but actually have a little bit of a discrepancy in odds. Let's see if you agree with the odds. Cowboy Cerrone or Pedro Munoz going up against uh, Aljamain Sterling? <clears throat> I would probably take Cerrone there. Cerrone's looked so good lately, um, and I'd be a little worried uh, if I was Munoz. Aljamain has looked fantastic. He's in excellent shape. His striking's improved. He was always one of the division's best wrestlers. So I would definitely take Cowboy there. Um, if for no other reason also, whenever, even though Tony Ferguson has won 11 fights in a row, whatever the heck it is, he still gets beat up a lot. You know, mm-hmm. He somehow manages to win, but it's not like he's not absorbing damage in the process. So you know, even if Cowboy doesn't win, and you know, I'm picking Ferguson to eventually come away victorious, I'd be very surprised if Cowboys didn't land his fair share of damage along the way. Yeah, I mean, I understand uh, definitely where that's coming from. Um, it seems like the betting odds are giving a lot more um, a lot more respect to Pedro Munoz than uh, the DraftKings uh, salaries are because Munoz is a plus one ten uh, underdog. So uh, you know the Elo doesn't like him as much, but uh, definitely the 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 public money or not even the public money, just Vegas in general seems to uh, enjoy that. I mean, Munoz is on quite the strike. He did lose a split decision to uh, John Dotson, but. Uh, Back-to-back first-round KOs. Caraway's not too impressive, but he knocked out Cody Garbrandt pretty stiff in the first round in their last fight, and that uh, that certainly caught my attention here. So I think we're going to have a very interesting fight. I see where you're coming with uh, Aljamain Sterling. I mean, Sterling's uh, he's got that he's Cerro Longo, so he's out be, out east by you. You got the, maybe a little hometown going on there, um, but. Uh, 
but yeah, that's a really tough one. I've got Munoz in my lineup. I can probably be talked into Sterling before lineup lock, and uh, I just went with the odds value and put Munoz, but I could easily swap that for Cerrone. Yeah, you know, uh, this. I mean, this, the you know Ray Longo met you know Wadman Chris Wadman Sterling's gym is down the block from my office. You know, I drive by it five times a day. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, you know, the, Sterling looks. Ever great. drop in and try to get a little spar going? Nah, <laughs> that, you know. I'm past that Value point in my career. Teeth, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, Sterling's good, and this is, <clears throat> you know, there there are other, you know, there are but there are re- very very few fighters on this card, in which I look at it and I look at their price tag and I go, I'm not doing that. You know, obviously, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I, I have no interest in Jessica. I, you know, you don't have any interest in you know Nina Ansaroff, but. Even other low price fighters, you know, like Angela Hill is not seventy one hundred. Mm, no, Angela Hill no is one of is you know, not to win, but it, you know, if you're gonna make, you know, ten, fifteen lineups, which you know a lot of people do, Angela Hill, you know, is a solid veteran, you know. I don't think she's gonna win, but you know, I don't I've certainly seen worse ideas, you know. I'd certainly put Hill in at seventy one hundred before I put, you know, Jessica I in at sixty six hundred and I'd find my five hundred bucks somewhere else. Yeah, so you. you know, you know, there's very there's very few fighters on this card I look at and say, oh, I'm not getting involved with that, yeah. which is what you hope for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully uh they always you know, the MMA Twitter loves to say, or at least DFS MMA Twitter, may the variance be in your favor, because there's always gonna be some. Um we went the whole show without mentioning the extraordinary gentleman, Bevan Lewis. Great nickname there. He's another big nine thousand favorite. I don't know if I like him enough to go over uh that some of the other people in that tier in that tier. Yes, great nickname. There's oh, so many good ones, but that's one that I thought was worth uh quick pointing out here before the show. Um I'll get some final thoughts in and and, and plug the products and, and uh ask for rating and reviews in a second but any other final thoughts on the card john i mean this is a good one you know uh this you know we're into you know we're into june now so you know almost halfway done with 2019 and the you know the pay-per-views the first half of the year have been you know a little a little iffy you know there have been there were a couple in there that you know that weren't great this is a good one the next one's a good one um you know just earlier today you know they announced um, you know, Habib and Dustin Poirier for the Abu Dhabi show coming up. And um, I believe I read that the UFC has agreed to do what? One pay-per-view a year there or one oh, big show and for gonna, five It's going to be an afternoon years? pay-per-view too. There's there's a yes, lot of interesting I things going that. on. We got an afternoon pay-per-view. And I think they did they did something with it because there's a lot of uncertainty with the ESPN Plus and how fighters get a piece of the pay-per-views. So for fighters like Habib, I think they have something set up where you get a guaranteed amount of pay-per-view nods and uh i, I mean i'd imagine in abu dhabi that's going to do a heck of a gate uh for oh, him yeah i you know i believe i want to i don't know the exact time you're right that card's eastern time that card starts the main card starts at like two or three in the afternoon something like you know something like something like that it's definitely mm-hmm. an afternoon card um in the u.s so you know obviously yeah. there's a lot of money over there yeah. uh, i don't know, i don't look, mind with the, yeah what the wwe was doing shows and whatnot i don't mind waking no. up and uh you know no. a late a late rise on my saturday morning and, but you and know they're you know i mean in addition to habib you know they're gonna stack that because there's a lot of money in that region the ufc signed a contract recently to hold i want to say it was a five-year deal i could be wrong about that huh. to hold one event there a year every year i believe i don't know if it's going to be pay-per-view every year but you know you only get one chance to make a first impression so I'd be surprised if they didn't load up that card too. So, like I said, my point was, you know, first half of the year, pay-per-views were a little on the weaker side. You know, it's going to get bigger. You got this one. You got the next one with Jones, you know, Jones and Santos. And then you got, you know, and you know the uh, 
the year-end pay-per-view in December, you know, is always a big one too. So, and what I believe, I think they're back at Madison Square Garden yeah. in November, aren't they? So, mm-hmm. you know, there there are big ones yeah. coming. Yeah, we're a ways away from announcing that, but you know, we got International Fight Week, July sixth. The twenty seventh is Holloway and Edgar, and then uh, don't forget about August. We got DC and Stipe, and then uh, of course the September card with Habib's return. So there's a lot to like moving forward here. Quick housekeeping to wrap things up here. First and foremost, thanks again to everybody for uh, tuning in, listening. We did an hour for this one. I think this card certainly merits it. Uh, so awesome stuff here. Uh, we appreciate everyone listening. Real quick, if you want to follow John on Twitter, that's J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Jakeski. 52. Um, if you want to check out rotowire.com, we've got a ton. Um, pretty much all of our MMA content is free, though uh, we do have a cool MMA lineup optimizer where you can generate multiple lineups and uh, adjust the projections and have it optimized based on that. Really cool tool. That's included in any DFS subscription. So if you want to go ahead and go to rotowire.com slash free, it's rotowire.com slash F-R-E-E. No credit card required. Free 10-day trial to all of our tools if you're playing baseball DFS, if you're thinking about golf or you're thinking about some of the soccer action uh, this summer that's a you know we got a world cup stuff coming up we got everything that you might need and of course fantasy football drafts sooner than you all think our outlooks and our projections are both live on the website right now as well so a lot to like over at rotowire.com Last but not least, uh, if you want to go ahead and rate and review the podcast on uh, iTunes, that's one of the uh, most helpful things that you can do for us. That's awesome. I sent uh, I sent a guy on Twitter at DFS Wins a T-shirt last week. If uh, someone wants to screen grab that and send it to me, I'd be happy to do the same thing. Uh, you know, if we got your size in stock, uh, so we very much appreciate that. I'll pick I'll pick one, one winner to go ahead and do that again because uh, that's the least we can do to uh, pay back some of our loyal listeners. Uh, as far as what's going on the site, I'm gonna. Be posting staff picks on Thursday. The Fight IQ crew of uh, we had a little hiccup last week with those guys, a couple of those guys getting sick late, but uh, Sean, Chris, and Joe will all be back uh, Friday night at eight Eastern on the Rotowire YouTube channel. That's just YouTube.com/slash Rotowire. So tons of great Fight Week content for you. Um, get at me on Twitter with any other questions that come up. We got a cool uh, Discord subscriber room for uh, any Rotowire members that want to chat fights with uh, with me and a couple other guys. Uh, on fight day so a lot going on on rotowire thanks again for listening to everyone of course john and i are going to be back before ufc 239 jones versus santos that'll be my last week of real work before we do our company out into vegas so uh got that going on coming up as well so uh i'll still be tuned in for that and enjoying everything man i don't know what to close on you guys are great john this is a fun show always a blast doing this with you i appreciate you joining me and uh, we will catch you next time sounds like a plan great card guys enjoy it yep right on Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.